0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Boulevard Bible Chapel. We're glad to have so many here today, especially those who are visiting. And I realize that there are different reasons people may be visiting today. Perhaps we have some who've come for graduations and that's a very exciting time. Perhaps you're here today because it's Mother's Day and you're visiting with family. Uh, But we especially want to give a hearty greeting and congratulations to those who are mothers today and say, Happy Mother's Day. We are very happy for you. Certainly, we can all say this, right? All of us are here today because of our mothers. Amen. But not all of us here today are mothers. And for that reason, this can be a very challenging day, right? In the midst of our wanting to congratulate our own mothers and the mothers around us because we realize the value of the work that they do and who they are as a person, this can be a difficult day for some. Some always wanted to be mothers and God has not given them that privilege. We read about women like Hannah in the Bible and she prayed and prayed. She, she wanted a child so badly and for some, they never received that blessing, that gift. There are some who once were mothers and they have survived their children very unnatural thing for us. We had a brother come visit here in this chapel some years ago, and I'll never forget it. One of his children drowned at the age of six or seven. And it had been a good 10, 12 years since it had happened. And he said, Dave, you just never get over it. He said, If you are a child who loses a parent, they call you an orphan. If you're a married person who loses a spouse, they call you a widow. If you're a parent who loses a child, there's not even a word in our vocabulary to describe what you are. It's that unnatural. And so there are those today whose hearts are grieving because they've lost a a child. There are some today who've been grafted into a family and are mothers-in-law or stepmothers. And that's an awkward place to be in sometimes. As the families are blending together and, and there's difficulty in that, and yet it's, it's still a blessing from God. It's still a, a big responsibility that holds much blessing. And so, I don't know which one of those categories each of you women may be in today and what you may be feeling, but I want to just say that even if you are a single person, never experienced motherhood from your generation's perspective... I want to encourage you with the words we have to say today also. When I was a young person in college and I spent a little bit of time in Asheville, North Carolina, I was at a very low point in my life. Uh, Some hopes and dreams and relationships that I had at that time had gone quite difficult and sour. And I found myself away from home and family and in a local church just like this one and um, The first Sunday I visited there, I met an elderly couple, Jim and Mamie Watson. They were both in their 80s at that time and they never had children. And yet, as they stepped into my life, they were able to play a role in my life that my parents, my mother was not nearby to help play. And they became very dear to me. And I realized in a very short period of time that they had done this with many other young people in my stage of life, although God had not blessed them to be biological parents by the love and care that they showed to others and especially the younger generation coming behind them. They were able to experience a little bit of the blessing that it is to be a parent, to be a mother. And uh, I thank the Lord for them. They're both with the Lord now. And I look forward to seeing them again. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to kind of go in two different directions this morning. I know I have way too many notes to try to get everything that I was thinking about this week. But I'd like to start with a challenge to the rest of us with three scriptures that this that the Bible gives us in regards to how we ought to respond to mothers. All right. So this is for us two men. Okay. Uh, first of all. The first stage of our life, right? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. I should have challenged the children with this one before they left. I know a number of them have it memorized. Ephesians 6, verse 1. It's the first of those verses. And maybe um, before we even begin reading that passage, I'd like to just once again go before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we today consider, along with the rest of our culture and our nation today to try to take in the value of mothers. Lord, as we've already recognized, it's, it's got many joys and sorrows for different reasons in our lives. And, and so we just want to pray for those who are suffering and at heart today, that you would indeed come alongside them as a loving shepherd, the heavenly father to give comfort and peace remind them that you've promised to walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death they need not fear any evil for you are with them fathers we consider the challenge before us as we seek to learn how to respond to our own mothers and the mothers around us and and uh, seek to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you we just want to ask lord as we open your word that you would indeed teach us give us open hearts to receive it and help us to put these things into practice And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hopefully, you're in Ephesians chapter 6 now. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Listen, I was a high school teacher for six years, and the students I watched struggle the most were those who never learned this lesson, they couldn't keep jobs. They were, many of them, trying to move out of their house because they just couldn't get along with mom and dad. And the Bible clearly tells us, this is your number one job as a young person, learn to obey your parents. And moms are the front line in that, right? And so, it doesn't say if they're being kind and polite, it says, this is your job, you obey your parents. The only exception the scriptures would give is if they're commanding you to do something that's ungodly or against the Bible, but moms don't generally do that. So for the most part, that's our job, just to learn to obey. Not always easy, right? But it's a great challenge. And the second one goes along with that because I learned as a young person that I surely could obey my mom if she said, take out the trash and maybe I thought it was my brother's turn and I could stomp my way grumbling all the way to the trash can and I was obeying. But you know, this next verse here in Ephesians 6 Verses two and three says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, that's a quote from Exodus chapter 20. And so he says, honor your father and mother. So even in our obeying, we can be dishonoring in our response to our parents and to our mother. But it's a great challenge, isn't it? Maybe things aren't as rosy at home as we'd like them to be. But it's a command. This is the first command with a promise, the Bible says. What is the promise? That it may be well with you. Oh, how I tried to get those young people in my classes to understand, listen, it's not your boss who doesn't like you, that he's just got it out for you, or your teacher you're complaining about. or It's not going well with you because you haven't learned to submit to authority and to honor those God has placed over you. A few of them got it. I rejoice today to see 30 years later, some of the young people who was able to turn around their relationship with their parents, because they learned to honor them, even if their parents might have been wrong on occasions. But that's a command from God to us to honor our father and mother. And see, this one doesn't just end when we move out of the house, right? Obey uh, your parents. That we must do while we're growing up and in their house. But as we move out, the Bible says this this command continues, right? Honor your father and mother. The fifth commandment, Jesus very clearly commented on because the religious people of his day, they, they, they came up with these little rules for themselves. And they used to say, well, you know, if you've decided that you were going to give this money to some noble cause, to charity, and then discover that your parents have financial need, you don't need to help your parents because that money was dedicated to God. And Jesus rebuked him and said, You dishonor your parents. You're breaking the command of God for your own tradition. Because this command goes through life to honor our father and mother. And there comes a stage in life where our parents can't do the things that they once did, and we're called upon as they served us. And helped us to come back alongside them to be a blessing to them. Also not easy, but a command from the Lord. And uh, I pray that God will help us, even as adults, to learn to honor our fathers and our mothers. Now this one is particular to mothers in Proverbs 31. And we're not going to spend the whole whole service here in Proverbs 31. I learned a long time ago that this is an intimidating chapter to women. As ladies and moms look at Proverbs and they hear this long list of things that this virtuous woman is described as, there's a certain measure of challenge, rebuke, disappointment, failure that seems to take over. And I don't believe that's from the Lord. I think that that we either do that to ourselves or the enemy of our souls is trying to discourage you, ladies, because God knows you're not perfect. One of the scriptures that really made a big difference in my life as a young person, I struggled with perfectionism. And there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says, there's not a righteous person on earth who continually does good and who never sins. And there was a day when I was struggling with a failure of mine and God said, listen, I have put that in my word. I'm the one who's saying, I know you're not going to be perfect. There's not a righteous person on earth. All the people that we look up to, there's no one perfect. And God is not expecting us to live a flawless life here. He gives us the power one situation at a time to overcome temptation, overcome sin, to do the right things. But sometimes we're not in the frame of mind we should be in and we do fail, right? 1 John chapter 2 tells us, I write these things that you do not sin, but if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And He has paid for that sin and He allows us to be forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness if we would just bring them before Him. And so, moms, we're going to talk about some things that the Bible encourages us to pursue. But I don't want this to be a rebuke session where you feel discouraged. I I hope that you'll see that, that in the course of your life, you are putting your hand to these things and that as time goes on, you will see that you are making progress in these things and that even in the difficult stages that you can look ahead and say, look, just like the Bible tells us about some of these women, the end of the story hasn't been written yet for you. And someday you too, by God's grace, can look back and see what God was doing in you and through you that you never knew. And so as we look at Proverbs 31, verse 28, as, as King Lemuel had his mother speak to him about the virtues of the, the kind of woman that he ought to be looking for for a spouse, the qualities that ought to be present in that kind of woman. Not that she does these things all the time. Listen, we go to the homeschool convention every May. And some of the speakers are moms who've done the home homeschooling thing and, and, and they've started, gone all the way through, finished. They're actually helping their kids to homeschool. And you look at the list of these things that people do and uh, you look at the list saying, man, when do they find time to do school? But if you were to talk to them, you'd realize, you know what, they didn't do them all at the same time or all the time. We're just getting a few little mountain peaks all put on the page at the same time. But there was a lot of little roads through the valleys in between. And at any one given time, they may not have been doing half of those things. And when we read through Proverbs 31, there's a lot of things that this woman is doing that she's praised for. But don't let that Scripture beat you down. At the end of it all, she says this to her son. About this woman who's seeking to please God. Verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. If your mom is available to do that today, would you praise the things that you've seen in her? To rise up and call her blessed. Bless her. Because she may be feeling the same guilt that maybe you're feeling about your own journey with things that haunt her own conscience. But we thank you, moms, for serving us, for serving your children, and we want to honor you today. This morning I had a a sneezing fit. It reminded me of my grandma, because every now and then I'd go, I'd count them, 25, 30 sneezes, she couldn't stop. And that was me this morning. And, uh, when I was done, my, th- my throat was hurting me. <laughs> uh, as I was trying to figure out how to stop sneezing, I was coughing at the same time. And um, I needed some water. And as I thought about water, I said, you know, it reminded me of moms. Absolutely necessary for life. You know, sometimes as we get a taste of other kind of drinks, we can neglect the water. But, you know, you just try living without it for a while. And you start to realize the importance and the blessing of simple water. Moms are absolutely necessary for life. And we can take them for granted in the, day, in, the in and outs of daily life. But to get along without them, very difficult. Dads, mom goes out to some uh, bridal shower. And we're trying to do all the things that they normally do for three hours. We get a little taste. We've only done about 10% of what they usually get done. And uh, the house isn't nearly as clean when they get home. Um, Yeah, I hear a lot of silent amens going on out there. Um, But we appreciate you and and, and we need those reminders every now and then. I'd like to take a look today at the life of a woman that you're probably familiar with in the Old Testament but not normally considered on Mother's Day. And this is in the book of Ruth. But we're not going to talk as much about Ruth, although we will refer to her along the way. But I'm thinking this morning of Naomi. Naomi is somebody that uh, I thought of the whole water thing wasn't very poetic. But, you know, there was a poem written about mothers that you have probably heard referred to and maybe never read. That was my case until yesterday, right? The, 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 the poem was called The Hand That Rocks the Cradle is the Hand That Rules the World. It was written in the 1860s, about the time of the Civil War, by a poet who wanted to honor mothers. And the idea there is that in the midst of all that daily grind and routine... Like a little stream that begins to feed the little critters nearby. It begins to grow and becomes a great blessing to many. And so our mothers. We begin life with them rocking the cradle. And next thing you know, their influence spreads to effect, impacting the whole world. And Naomi she's a mother. That we can learn from today as we consider how her influence, although quite overshadowed at times, maybe even diminished in her own eyes, was a great blessing. See, we read Let's just look at a few verses here in chapter one. It says it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem of Judah went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. And then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. And so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. And then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. I'd like to just stop right there. Let's consider the context that this story takes place, okay? So, they are Israelites in the land of Judah, but living in a day called the Judges. There was no king in the land, but God would raise up a person who was a godly person walking with the Lord, who would rise up amongst the fellow people of the Israelites, To help them address a problem in their land. Now, there's two different ways we need to consider the judges. See, the problems that usually arose was because in the disobedience of the people of Israel, God would allow troubles to come into their land. And in the midst of their troubles and difficulties, they would finally realize that they had gone off the path that they should have been on, disobeying God, and they would cry out to God for help. And so the judge that God would raise up would do two things. He would come along as a deliverer to help address the issue of the enemies who had risen up against and over the Israelites. And that's usually the way we think of the judges. But if you continue to read, it always says that that person would continue to judge the Israelites for a certain number of years, often the rest of their lifetime. So their judging wasn't just to remove them from their, uh, excuse me, to help them be delivered from their enemies. It was to help rule them, to help them on their way back to the Lord. But see, we were in a time like that. It says that there was a famine in the land. Deuteronomy 28, when the Israelites came into the land, he said, if you wander away from me, I'll raise up prophets to warn you. But if you refuse to listen, I'm going to allow these enemies to come in and they're going to take over your land. I'm going to allow the rain to stop so that you have famine in the land so that you can remember about me. They had become complacent in their relationship with God, and God allowed this famine to come. And the purpose of the famine was to get them to realize the plight they were in and turn back towards the Lord. But here, look what's happening in the life of Elimelech and Naomi. They realize that there's a famine. God's blessing is not upon their lives. They've come into a period of difficulty. And it doesn't say they turned to the Lord. They ran away. They went to the land of Moab, a land of people that had harassed and rejected the Israelites when they came into the promised land. And God said, those people shall never come into my holy place. They, they, they he took a stand against them. It was a cursed land. And yet they left the place where God, where God's name was in his dwelling. And they went to the land of Moab. It didn't go well for them there either. That's the tragedy of the story. They get there, and I don't know exactly how long it takes for all these things to happen, but in the course of time, as they've planted themselves in the midst of the people of Moab, where they didn't worship God, they had their own religious ideas, as a people they had rejected the Israelites, and suddenly her husband dies. The irony here is that Bethlehem, the town where they're from, is called the house of bread. The place where they should have had sustenance. They forsook it because there was no bread, because of a famine. You know, where are you in your life? As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God says that we've been blessed with all kinds of spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And yet, do we find ourselves in a barren place? Is it God who's failed us? Tragically, we're the ones who wander away from God. And we find ourselves in times of difficulty and, and, and struggle and famine. Do we run like Elimelech did? Or do we turn back to the Lord? Not only does her husband die, but it tells us in the course of these ten years that her two sons also died. And there comes a time in the midst of this season of difficulty and sorrow and grief that she's thinking about her life and evaluating. And she's we don't hear her thoughts in this passage, but she comes to the place where she says, what am I doing here? I need to go back to the place where I departed from walking with God. I need to go back to that land the house of bread so that I can get the nourishment that I need in my soul. And and, and in the midst of all that, she gathered up her courage to return. Have you ever been in that place where you, you feel the conviction of having done wrong and yet you struggle to turn back and go back? Sometimes it can take a day. Sometimes it can take weeks, months, a year, several years. I don't know how long it took me. Naomi. But finally, she gathered the courage and said, I'm going back. I left all my friends behind. I've, we left because we thought we were destitute. Now I've got less, but I'm going back. And so she gathered up her courage and she began to go back. And it tells us here in verse 8 that Naomi's two daughters-in-law arose to go with her. And they began on the journey. And as they were going, Naomi suddenly realizes, wait a minute. What am I doing? These are Moab women. How are they going to find an acceptance back there? I don't have any other children to to marry them off to, but what can I do to help them at this stage of their lives as much as my own? And and so with a heart that was seeking the good of her daughter's in-law, she turns to them and she says, listen, Verse eight, go return each of you to your mother's house. The Lord and the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. She says, why don't you go back to your own people and just find new husbands and and start a new life? But you're not going to want to come with me. My life is broken. And, you know, the loyalty that they felt to their mother-in-law is is a blessing. They said, no, 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 we're going to go with you. We we want to go with you. But the more that Naomi, the reality of these things settling with her, she she began to be more resistant to her daughters in law coming with her. And she said, just go back, go back. And finally, we see that Orpah does. She kisses her mother-in-law and she turns and returns. And... But Ruth turns to her. In verse 15, she says, look, this is Naomi. She says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, please do not entreat me to leave you or to, uh, to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried the lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me so naomi when she saw that she was determined to go with her she stopped speaking to her about the matter and let her come now i know you're familiar with this story most of you but i had to ask myself a new question this week i said what was it about naomi that ruth wanted so badly to come with her This woman's life collapsed around her, and yet Ruth wants to go with her. And I said to myself, something in the character and the relationship that Naomi had with God, even in the midst of the barrenness of her experience, touched Ruth. She said when she got back, don't call me Naomi anymore. That means pleasantness. Call me Mara, bitter. Because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Yet, in the midst of what she felt was a life that had collapsed around her, there was a ray of hope that touched the heart of Ruth. And I thought, how often do the moms in our lives today feel like Naomi? I try and I try. And life just falls apart around me. My I don't know. Did Naomi want to go with Elimelech over to Moab? I don't know. The Bible doesn't comment. Consider both scenarios, right? Perhaps they had talked about it and they said, you know what, that's a good idea. I've heard they've got plenty of crops down there. Let's go. But in the midst of the collapse, we don't read of her turning against her husband and saying, We should have stayed. I told you so. Especially if she never wanted to go in the first place. What if she would have said to Elimelech from the beginning, listen, this is the place where we worship God. This is where all of our friends and support structure is. Yes, it's difficult, but what are we going to find in Moab? But, you know, she really didn't have a choice in that day. Um... As a married woman, her responsibility was to go with her husband. She had no rights to make a choice separate from him. She was expected just to go along. But in the midst of it, what a heart she must have had. In the midst of all of her sorrow, to still have some sort of testimony that touched the heart of Ruth. And she said, you know what? In spite of all that you've said to me, I want to come with you. I want your God to be my God. I mean, think about it. What did they have to offer in Moab? Seems like they had lots of bread. But it didn't pull her away. Um, Something in Naomi's character touched Ruth and she wanted to come with her. 10 years. If you're in that famine time, time of your life. 10 years sounds like a long time, doesn't it? Yes. A month is a long time when you're going through the famine. But we know people we've been praying for people in our own congregation right here that have been struggling with debilitating illness, collapsed relationships, spiritually and physically. That has gone on for years. I can't tell you when that time is going to end. You know, here the story turns at that 10-year mark. We're not promised when. This is a hard thing, not only for us as believers, but especially for unbelievers, right? How many people we talked to have said, this guy gets away with everything. When's God going to set the record straight? Well, you know, he may not set it straight in this lifetime. But no one escapes God. We can't see with these eyes what it will be like for that person when they stand before a holy and righteous God. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. All the years I let you still continue living the way that you did in mercy, hoping you'd finally change. What if Naomi had turned earlier to go back? She would have experienced the turn in the story earlier, but it took 10 years for her to come to that place. But, you know, I don't know why God is allowing the trials to come into your life. But I know that he's a loving God and he's got a purpose and he had a purpose in in Naomi's life. And, and, And there came a time when Naomi turned to the Lord and he met her there. And I don't know what it'll be in your life that'll bring the turn. But I know we heard someone quote it this morning. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Even if our sufferings in this life last the full 80 to 100 years, the first thousand years in eternity, it'll be long forgotten. But to have an eternity without Christ, that's much worse. So I don't know what the sorrow or difficulties may be in your life right now, but I want to encourage you, like Naomi, hang on to the Lord, stay faithful in your responsibilities, keep looking to Him. If you feel the conviction because you've wandered away, turn back to Him. He's there, and He's waiting, and He wants to work in your life. This is in the period of the judges. I was I went through and found a few. You know, in some of the judges, the people of Israel suffered for eight years under the hands of some of their Their oppressors, some of them it was 18 years, 40 years. It's different every time, depending on the need, depending on the situation. But let's keep looking to the Lord. Naomi did, and it impacted Ruth and changed her life too. Now, you know, the Bible tells us, as we look at today, um, mothers. When the, Lord, when the Lord set up the church, he said, listen, I do not allow the women to be in leadership in the church. He said, I want the men to take that role. However, the ladies shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness And the end of the verse has escaped my, my memory here. But I was thinking about that. You know, so often in our society, that, that really rubs people the wrong way. Because the ladies are in, end up feeling cheated of some, some role. But you know, the hand that rocks the cradle that ends up ruling the world. God has made a very precious realm for mothers to excel, and it's right in their own homes. And again, if you're not a mom, I would encourage you to remember people like Mrs. Watson, who found people outside of their own physical offspring to practice these things. The simple faithfulness in everyday living, walking with God, has tremendous impact. And so he says, as these women experience their own genuine faith, they need to impart it to their children. As the children watch it lived out day by day in the home. And that's hard, isn't it? The pile of dishes, as soon as you get it done, it just seems to miraculously reappear in 10 minutes. You clean up one room, you go to the next. By the time you come back, how, how, where'd that come from? Yeah. <laughs> and you never punch out to go, to, you know, to leave the job. It's always ongoing. And you don't hear a whole lot of thanks for many, many years. You hear a lot of grumbling. Oh, man. You start to realize, oh, my goodness, that stuff that we've been eating is not good for us. We're not going to have that anymore. We're going to do this. And, oh, man, oh, no, you know, I like that. And, you know, you want to do what's best. And what do you get? You get resistance and grumbling and complaining. And, and, um, but in the midst of all that, what does the Bible tell us? There was a woman named Eunice in the New Testament. Who, who grew up in a home. It says that she was married to a man who was not a Jew, living in a town far away from, the, from, from Jerusalem. And yet in that home, her own genuine faith, she passed it along to her son Timothy. It was quoted by Brother Malcolm this morning. As Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, he said to her, or to him, excuse me, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I'm persuaded it's also in you. Chapter three. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, you know where you learned them. You learned them from your mom. And she was teaching you from the word of God. It made you wise for salvation. It set your life on the course that it needed to be on. Don't forget that. Continue in it. Moms, that is the effect of the life that you are living day by day with all those dishes. With all those dirty diapers. The genuineness of your faith, like Naomi's in the midst of her troubles, impacted the next generation to where she was able to turn away from all that her society offered her, to follow her mother-in-law, who was a widow with nothing, back to a foreign land where she was a despised Moabite. That's influence. And you know, we live in a day where the Word of God is despised. And the very role that you play as mom is looked down upon, and you feel like you're made a second class citizen. You may not even feel the confidence to tell someone, yes, I'm a stay at home mom. It cuts against the grain of our society. No, no, no. You've got to have two incomes. You've got to have this size house. You've got to have this kind of car, whatever it may be. But the influence of a life of genuine faith lived out, pouring into that next generation has dividends for all of eternity. And so don't get stuck in the famine time. Remember that God has a greater plan. I was looking at the story of Naomi and Ruth. And as you go through their very dialogue, you can see some of the reasons that Ruth was drawn to go with her mother-in-law. As they were going to go, it says that the whole city was excited because they got there. Naomi was missed you know I know people in this congregation who had opportunities to go somewhere else because they got a job offer. they refused it because they said no this is my spiritual family this is where I'm nourished and built up and encouraged in the things that God has called me to live my life and yes they may have a higher paycheck there but it's a famine there spiritually I don't find the support there and so rather than going out and 10 years later coming back like Naomi saying oh I've wasted 10 years There are those who said, no, I'm going to stay right here and not run and deal with the difficulties that are here. Praise God. Praise God. Your children are watching and they're learning lessons. She said, "Naomi Naomi didn't have the full perspective yet. Right? When she got back and she had to explain what had happened to her, she felt some of the sting of the disappointments of when she went out. And she says in chapter 1, verse 21, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Wait a minute. She went out full? She went out because she was empty. It was a famine. But when Naomi left, she felt like she was empty. But now, after having gone away from the Lord... She said, wow, I was full before. Now I'm really empty. But she's coming back. She's coming back. She needed an attitude and perspective correction. And so they returned to the land and it turns out that it's the beginning of the harvest and I love this. Um, Naomi, it says, okay, chapter 2, verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband who was a of uh, Chapter 2. Ruth says to Naomi, let me go to the field and gather, glean heads of grain after the people in the field. And she says, go, my daughter. Here's what I begin to see in this dynamic, and I've already taken too much time. I'm sorry. I'm going to bring this to a close, but here's what I notice. Naomi is not only being self-sacrificing, she's looking out for the good of her daughter-in-law and she's giving her wise counsel. She's dealing with her with wisdom and understanding and drawing along beside her to help her in her stage of life. And Ruth, at the same time, is looking to her mother-in-law, not saying, look, you messed up your life. I've got my own ideas and I'm going to go out and do it better this time. No, she receives the instruction of Naomi and says, "Uh, uh I ought to go to that field and glean. OK, I'll go there. Her mother-in-law says to her, listen, isn't it only right for me that I should seek to help you get a better place in life? Chapter three, verse one. And so she says, let me help you. And Ruth says, okay, I'll let you help me. And she openly receives the counsel that Naomi is giving her. See, there's a cooperation here between the generations. And and we need that in our families, in the body of Christ. We need that. And I see Naomi with a sensitive, broken spirit, willing to share from her own life lessons. Ladies, ladies. As you draw alongside some of the younger moms, they need to be reminded. They see you here on Sunday morning with it all together. They don't know that you broke down the same way they do on Tuesday morning with all those dirty diapers. They don't see the fact that you snapped in frustration at your children the way they do. And we need to remind them that's part of being human. We all have our weak moments, but God gives grace. And we can come alongside and offer counsel and help the way Naomi did to Ruth. And those of us in the younger generation can say, I don't know how to do this. I feel like like I'm doing it all wrong. And as we lay out the scenario before those who've been a little bit further down the road, they can say, you know what? No. I did the same thing. And here's what helped me. Here's what someone told me. Here's what my mom or the elder's wife from previous generation we can tell you stories of how the women in this congregation helped us to say, no, here's what we did. And, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to ask and we shouldn't be afraid to offer the help in both directions. Naomi and Ruth learned to make it work. And if we will sit, set our hearts to do the same, God will help us and bless the work of our hands as we honor Him, as we, don't, as we hold up the blessing of motherhood, the role of a, of a godly woman seeking to live a genuine faith day in and day out, it's going to have impact for generations to come. And so don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Let's look to the Lord. If there needs to be some correction, let's run back to Him. Let's not wait the 10 years. And let's pray for one another, help each other with open hearts to see that race won for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, We're here today. We need your help. We need to teach our children to obey their moms. We need to learn how to, in the midst of all that, still honor our own moms in the generation before us and bless them with the reminder of what they did right and how they've pointed us to Christ. It was said when Ruth asked Boaz why such kindness, he said, it's been fully reported to me What you've done for Naomi. Naomi was willing to share what Ruth had been doing. She was willing to share her own brokenness to show the importance of it. She humbled herself and you lifted her up. And Father, we pray that you would help us to do the same as we seek to to honor the ladies and the mothers amongst us in our own families and this congregation. Father, would you please show us how to honor them? How to follow in their footsteps, to learn from them, and to help those who are coming behind us, for the honor and glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.